Hi, y'all, and welcome to another episode of React Roundup. I'm your host, Leslie Conewine, and we're joined by panelists Thomas A. Lott. Hello. Lucas Rice. Hello, everybody. And today, our special guest is Andrei Okonechnikov, a specialist in front-end architecture and design systems. He runs his own consultancy, ComponentDriven.io, and he created the package Lint Stage. So welcome, Andrei. Hello. Thanks for having me. One of the things that I find that we talk a lot about at the different conferences and the different things that I'm working on is open source software. And a lot of people have a lot of ideas around open source software, but we don't often think about the people who are building it and trying to maintain it. And I had a friend, John, who came to me. He's been a guest on JavaScript Jabber a couple of times. He came and he actually said, hey, Chuck, I wish there was a show about sustaining open source. And that really hit me where I live. And I have a few other friends who are working on projects related to this. So we all got together and we put together a show called Sustain Our Software. You can find it at sustainoursoftwarepodcast.com. And it's a place where several people who are passionate about open source come together and have conversations about how it can be sustained and how it can be maintained and what we can do to help these maintainers continue to deliver us value that we build our software on. Most of the software we're building is based on open source. And so it's important to us to have that maintained and have it taken care of. Come check it out. It's been really interesting to listen to the conversations that they're having from people who are working in it all the time and just hear what they have to say about it. Once again, that's at sustainoursoftwarepodcast.com. So tell us a little bit about your background in, in design systems and maybe why you started Component Driven IO. So yeah, my background is interesting because many of my contribution to open source, not by least by this link stage package you managed because I gave some talks about it. But actually, I'm coming from the design background. So I started my career, I think it was almost 20 years ago now, <laughs> time flies. Oh, wow. So yeah, I, I was studying computer science, but at the same time, I got interested in, in design and especially user interface design. So I was actually, during my study, I started working as a designer, as a web designer. So I started creating my first web, uh, web pages and earned some first box uh, doing that. So it was like, I never thought it's going to be my profession, <laughs> but I kind of, I enjoyed the process. So I, then I tried more and so I stuck with it somehow. Uh, but most of the time in, a, in the first years of my career, I was doing design and especially user interface design. So I was doing these things like uh, wireframes, usability testing, talking to people, trying to understand design problems and try, try to find solutions to them. And then I was doing some wireframes and getting them to developers to implement. So back then, it was mostly non-web non stuff. But then web was kind of getting some attention. So I thought, oh, interesting. I could, instead of doing so wireframes, I could actually do some clickable stuff just by putting some HTML and CSS and JavaScript together. So that is what how I basically got into the front-end development. I, so instead of explaining how the interface should work, these images, I started creating kind of interactive interfaces. So when did you get into JavaScript? I think it was uh, 2000-something, six, seven. Oh, man, old school. Yeah, pretty, pretty, pretty much a long time ago, yeah. But back then, I was, was writing code like, you know, a href something or button on click. Like, it was pre-jQuery era, basically. So I was doing <laughs> yeah. uh, inline, even handling, pretty much like we do in React these days. <laughs> right? That's actually <laughs> Then React was introduced, and I, I saw the I actually saw the Pete Hunt doing the introduction at JSConf 2013, I, I guess. 
Then I saw that example. I was like, oh, actually, I can't remember doing that stuff back in, <laughs> you know. So it felt, I felt kind of at home because this yes. event delegation stuff, it never felt like the right stuff to do for me because it, it was always introducing some complexity to the, you know, yeah. then the application got bigger. You never knew where this event would come from. So you have to search like, and we, we didn't have these kind of IDEs we have today. So you couldn't just resolve the symbol or do some <laughs> stuff like that. So you have to search, you have to search by strings and find this event delegation handler somewhere in, in, you know, file at the line, I don't know, 5067. <laughs> <laughs> right. So it was kind of awkward. So then I saw this React thing. I was like, hmm, actually, I like it. So most people, they didn't like it at first. I, I can remember the, the reaction <laughs> the test, and it was like, you know, <laughs> like, yeah. what, is, what is that? <laughs> no, 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 you can't do it. <laughs> and I was like, hmm, actually... Like, I've been doing that before, so why not? I mean, and then, you know, it solved all these state problems I had, all these race conditions I had, and I was trying to speed up my jQuery apps back then. So I had this client where I was trying to do the really, really complex stateful screen. There's a lot of state updates coming uh, through WebSocket, and I had numerous bugs just, you know, because I was trying to optimize how many mutations to the DOM I should be doing because I couldn't just re-render the whole stuff. And then Pete uh, was introducing this thing. Introduced it, actually. I came to him and I asked, hey, what do you think? Could I just take this UI and implement it in React and it would solve it? And he was like, yeah, totally. And that was the first thing I did. Then I came back from the conference and it totally solved the, all the performance issues. Or it, it solved the race conditions issues, but not performance issues. It took me another couple of weeks to understand how, uh, how React actually works. And so <laughs> the rest of performance issues and reach him out to, at uh, IRC, I think. Back <laughs> 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 then it was the thing for React community. Yeah, they, yeah. all the 10 people hanging, was hanging out on IRC channel, yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's how MooTools was back in the day. Yeah. It's interesting, you came from jQuery directly to, to React. So you didn't you didn't go through like the backbone? Yeah, I didn't actually base. touch. Uh, well, actually, that project was implemented in Backbone using CoffeeScript. So I saw things, you know. <laughs> 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 so it's not that I, yeah, it was a straight from, you know, vanilla JavaScript 2006 to React. No, <laughs> not at all. Yeah, CoffeeScript was very interesting briefly. It was like a, a vision of the, it's kind of like steampunk. It's like futuristic, but wrong in some weird way. <laughs> I actually really liked it for a couple of years. So that I was using, I was really a big fan because back then most of the projects were implemented in Ruby. And it was, yeah. you know, you could see the, how it was affected by the simplicity of Ruby. But at the same time, Definitely. it was also affected by the, you know, design decisions coming from Ruby that wouldn't actually quite fit to the JavaScript way of handling things. So it, it was a little bit, yeah, kind of on the edge. But at the same time, the, the things I liked most, the shorter syntax for functions that, you know, things that eventually got in ECMAScript. Yeah. Uh, I'm grateful for, uh, to, to CoffeeScript for doing that because we now have a much better language or the syntax for, I mean, yeah. the language stayed pretty much the same, but now we have a better, better syntax for things we had yeah. uh, before. Yeah. And I remember it was picked up and, and CoffeeScript was used in the original uh, like framer design tool. Exactly. Thing. 
So when did you get interested in like design tools and frame and design systems and stuff like that? Well, I think I always was kind of interested. It was just not the kind of right time back then because we didn't have that kind of tools. We didn't have the declarative user interfaces. We couldn't do this kind of, well, we could try to do this component-based architecture back then, but actually every single framework that would came out back then was, you know, encouraging you to do MVC. So it was a little bit different concept. So it was really hard to do this kind of architecture back then because you would be going against the framework all the time. And yeah, it's not what you, you know, usually do if you work with a framework. If you want to avoid pain, of course, if you like, if you are uh, masochist, probably, yeah, that's a way. But, but I was always interested in, you know, organizing stuff. So like I liked then I was designing my stuff then to be kind of organized. And that's kind of a essence uh, for me of uh, every design system, you know, like the mass and then try to get rid of the mass. And that's the design system, right? So, yeah. But there's, the, the, there's the modern a... design tools, they kind of gave us this, the kickoff for, you know, this modern era of, of or a hype, let's say. Yeah. Honestly, yeah. And there's a bunch of different like categories of organizing things. Like some people like to organize the, like the specific details and other people like to organize things kind of conceptually. And then there's like organizing like workflows and then organizing like communication channels and like, <laughs> yeah, yeah, of et course. Cetera, et cetera. It's just, yeah, you're totally right. I agree. There are different ways of looking at the same thing from a different angle and establishing some way of a mental model, how we, you know, how we perceive this bigger thing, because as the, any application gets bigger, we need some, some structure regards uh, a design system or for design system kind of makes sense to stick these components at least it makes sense for me (laughs) but for in general software architecture yeah there are completely different ways of of doing that so for 20 years you saw uh, frameworks come and go and you had this design background right so it's interesting that you are a developer but you came from, from from the design world and how do you see this communication between what gets developed and what gets designed and like the business uh, owners? How do you see this uh, communication uh, evolving in this 20 years? Do you think we are in a better place than we were? Do you think it's like kind of the same thing? Maybe we regressed a bit. Like, how do you think this communication story evolved in this? In all this, um, it's a, it's, a, it's actually a great question. It brings me to my first ever conference talk that I gave in 2007 in Russia, in in Moscow. It was a first ever front end conference, actually. That was yeah, that whole place in in Moscow, and they invited me. And my title was front end architect. What is it? It wasn't Russian, but I, I can't remember exactly the title, but it was something like front-end architect. Who is that and what is it about something like that, right? And I recently found the recording. It wasn't even on YouTube or anywhere. It was not my local machine. So I was, you know, or on, on my external drive. So I connected it and found some video file. And I was like, oh, interesting. What is it? So I clicked oh, it and I was like, I watched myself like, yeah, 2007. What is it? 20 years, more than 20 years ago. Which is, you know, an awkward feeling to watch <laughs> giving the first ever public talk. <laughs> but the thing is, I actually enjoyed it because 
it felt like it could be how today. So I think not that much changed since, since then regarding the, how, we, how we develop software products, how we develop uh, digital products for people. And the way we still you know, try to, from the idea to the final product, the, the steps we take, they are pretty much the same as back then. So we kind of, we have this design process where we create these beautiful images that are static. So we take a beautiful design tools that evolve over time. So back then we only had Photoshop or Corel Draw, if you can remember, <laughs> <laughs> because I used that thing. And then we had, you know, suddenly we had a sketch. It was a shiny new world, completely different, but in a nutshell, it didn't change much, you know, so it gave us faster user interface so we could draw same shapes faster. But the end result for the design process would be the same for the designer. It would be a static image that would, you could post on Dribble. It would be beautiful. Of course, you would have all these gradients, all these drop shadows, all these, you know, bevel and bezels. <laughs> no, I'm just joking because, yeah. But anyway, it would be the static image. And then the, the, the developer, like the front-end developer or the back-end developer would kick, kick in into the process and they would take the image and try to, you know, get as much as possible information from just looking at the image. And it wouldn't have all this information needed to create the product because it wouldn't have all the edge cases, it wouldn't have all the states, it wouldn't have all the transitions you need to understand, it wouldn't have all the resolutions covered. So to me, the process kind of is the same right now. So as many companies I know, they kind of work the same way they, they did before. So not many companies have different or completely different processes. So they still have designers and then in a separate probably department and those designers, they're probably not even talking to developers and then they have some handoff. You know, we have these tools to do the handoff. So that's kind of a sign of a problem because in an ideal world, I don't think we should have these tools at all like Zeppelin, you know, where you post something to the cloud so the developer can take a look at your mockup and, you know, read the font size information from it because, yeah, because two, two people didn't manage to talk to each other or they didn't manage yeah. to, you know, come up with a standard how, you know, what's the font size for headings we're going to use. And that's where, you know, this is where the, basically the whole notion of design systems and the, the style guides, these living style guides comes from, for me at least. Yeah, I got super excited about the the whole bridge between design and engineering there a few years ago. Yeah. I'm curious, like, so in a perfect world, right? You're not necessarily having this, like, uh, this handoff that happens kind of behind closed doors. What does that look like to you? I don't know. To me, did you see the absolutely astonishing video how they did it, the labs project at Airbnb, I think it was John Gold uh, leading this project, where they would draw a user interface on a napkin and the, you know, the artificial intelligence, like the computer vision would create complete production ready UI or it's, I don't know if it was production ready, but it, it was using like real React components that developers programmed, put into StyleGuide and then, the, you know, the computer vision would say, that is the user interface you got if you put it in a napkin, you know? That is like, for me, that's the notion of design systems. Well, I could, I could talk to my, you know, the developer or to my client, then I design something and we understand what we talk like. We, we both know what, you know, what we're talking about. Kind of, and I draw it on a napkin. I don't need this, you know, 
beautiful gradients in my sketch. So it's only, so I can iterate much faster. So that would be ideal world. So I would just show, you know, basic structure. Okay, it's, this, is the, this is the user interface I kind of imagine, how it's going to look with my components. And, you know, in a second I could try it and, you know, navigate back and forth because it's basically the design process I am using that I do work for my clients. So that I, it's just, I use code for, for now because there are no such tools. I mean, there are tools are coming, but there are no such tools that would, you know, completely replace the whole process for now. But I think, I think that's the future, codeless, basically, yeah. It's interesting that you talk about communicating with uh, a sketch in a napkin. I was reading the Shape Up book by Basecamp. I don't know if you saw that. They, they released a new book talking about their, like, design. What? What? What, are, what are you? It's a book called Shape Up by Basecamp that they just they just released. Yeah, I saw it, but I didn't read it yet. So it's it's, yes. in, it's in my bookmarks. Which it is. is. Yeah, it's going to take time to get it. <laughs> <laughs> but it's interesting because they... Uh, um, they have like in the chapter two, which they call like the principles of shaping, how they shape an idea that they say that wireframes are too concrete, but on the other hand, like words are too abstract. So they try to do something in the middle that I believe it's something like a napkin idea. Interesting. Like, because if you give a wireframe, it's interesting because you're telling the devs what to do, but that wireframe may not be like what happens when I get those components that we already have and put together. So it creates much more noise than it should. And I think this is a segue too to your ideas, uh, Andre, on talking about UI primitives. I think it's a similar idea, right? That you create primitives instead of creating a wireframe and then I create everything from scratch myself. Could you explain to us about this concept? Yeah, sure. Um, I know I shouldn't be saying it's quite simple because, yeah, everything isn't as simple as it might seem <laughs> to me. <laughs> so the primitives, basically, they serve as the building material for the bigger things that I call patterns. And patterns coming basically also from the term UI patterns. So the, the term itself was uh, invented by Christopher Alexander, an architect who was acting in the beginning of a century or in the middle of an 20th century. So he invented this kind of idea for building houses or even uh, environments for people. So where specific like design problems would have specific solutions. So let's say, how big should be the door to the, to the building where, you know, 20 people should come in, in, in an hour. And so such problems would be des described as, uh, or defined as questions, and then where would be specific solutions to how to solve this kind of problem. So, and that is to me the thing how we, how I see at least the, 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 how we build user interfaces. So we don't have just buttons or just text because this thing needs to interact with each other. So as a simple example, I don't know, um, even thinking about uh, a drop-down that can be, you know, uh, have a type of hat functionality, these are kind of specific. So how do I give a user ability to quickly reduce the choice from the select, right? So th this kind of problem. And the solution to it is like, yeah, give it, uh, give it an input field where you can type first letters and it's going to reduce the choice. And then you press the down arrow and, you know, so you select it. 
like the concept of like a UI pattern or an interaction pattern, but not yeah. like a specific implementation of it. So like, I guess that's the difference between a pattern versus uh, a component or a specific implementation. So in terms of React, what's interesting about React, actually, what got my attention a lot is everything is a component, right? This, this concept. And it sounded weird in the beginning, but now after I thought about it a little bit, it was like, hmm, yeah, now we can encapsulate this design decision into the component and get this UI pattern as a component. So all you have to do to create a complex grid that has a lot of design decision made for you is just, you know, import grid from grid and yeah, use the grid, give it some data, and it's going to render it to you. I'm going to have keyboard navigation, all these complex design decisions that usually get implemented over and over again in each single software project, right? Because we don't have such primitive in HTML. Or even if you have the HTML primitive uh, presentation, we have a very limited set of uh, primitives provided by the platform, right? So if we if look at uh, headings, okay, we kind of, yeah, we have six of them and it's probably more than enough, than enough for every web application. These buttons, it can get a little bit more complicated because you can implement buttons a little bit differently and yeah, totally destroy accessibility and all this stuff. So, <laughs> you know, but it's going to look the same. So, you know, you just apply a class name and it's, it looks the same, but it behaves completely different. So again, that's the first sign of a problem. But then you get to the, uh, the designer comes to you and says, hey, I want to drop down that, you know, that has a type hat in it. And suddenly you, you're out of primitives, right? So it's like, oh, yeah, now I need to build this thing. And, and they start building it, this, you know, primitives that HTML and CSS kind of give you. It's, you're going to re-implement the thing over and over again, and you're probably going to do the same mistake someone did already. And, you know, and that's where this idea of component-driven comes from. So where you take the... UI pattern and you put it into like all this knowledge, you put it into the component and you develop this component in isolation, not in your app. And by doing so, you also kind of, you know, you think of all these edge cases that, that, that might happen to you or to that component actually, or where you don't know where it's going to be used. So you try to make it as, as universal or usable as possible. And that kind of automatically creates a better design for it. So, so it always goes, it goes along all these concepts and the primitives is basically is what you're using to build this, to get, the, to get to this more complex component. Yeah? This episode is sponsored by Sentry.io. Recently, I came across a great tool for tracking and monitoring problems in my apps. Then I asked them if they wanted to sponsor the show and allow me to share my experience with you. Sentry provides a terrific interface for keeping track of what's going on with my app. It also tracks releases so I can tell if what I deployed makes things better or worse. They give you full stack traces and as much information as possible about the situation when the error occurred to help you track down the errors. Plus, one thing I love, you can customize the context provided by Sentry. So, if you're looking for specific information about the request, you can provide it. It automatically scrubs passwords and secure information, and you can customize the scrubbing as well. Finally, it has a user feedback system built in that you can use to get information from your users. Oh, and I also love that they support open source to the point where they actually open source Sentry if you want to self-host it. Use the code devchat at sentry.io to get two months free on Sentry's small plan. That's code devchat at sentry.io. The reusability is so important, right? Because when I think about accessibility, and I think about the fact that HTML is for documents, right? That was what it was originally built for. <laughs> when you're trying to build an app, it's sort of a different beast in a way. Not to say that, you know, a, an article couldn't still apply in a web app, 
but typically, you know, it, it's a little bit murkier, I guess. <laughs> yeah. There's a slide in my Google Mail app. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, to create something once and to put that thought behind accessibility, making sure you're using, you know, ARIA attributes or whatever you need to describe it properly once instead of having to do that over and over. That's yeah. like a, a superpower. Yeah, to me as well. Yeah, that's where I see the power of components because, yeah, you can just redistribute knowledge by just importing some JavaScript file. How powerful is that? I mean, that's actually the essence. Instead of writing documentation, instead of writing standards. So before that, before we had components, we, if you remember, we had this, all these JavaScript standards, how we write JavaScript, HTML standard, how should, we, how should one a good developer write accessible HTML? Use that, don't use that. Use class names, don't use IDs, all the CSS standards. Now, import grid from grid, done. Cool. Accessible yeah, like, yeah, we're getting away from all the little micro tactics of how do you actually, yeah. you know, chip away at the tiny little corner of this tiny little thing, and to we can kind of step back and focus on higher level problems. Exactly. Yeah. Then people say, yeah, um, the getting too much code. There are too much JavaScript code on front end. Of course, there's more code because now we're solving completely different problems, or these problems are so much more complex as we did as we had uh, 10 years ago, because 10 years ago, all we did is, yeah, on hover, show the tooltip, on mouse out, <laughs> hide the tooltip. Today, I don't know, like the, the, my previous client was the super complex grid application that would, you know, have all this virtualization because of, uh, you know, because we had like infinite number of rows and infinite number of columns and you, you should be able to navigate this keyboard and, you know, when you press enter, it should change the, to edit mode so you can type uh, things in and each cell would have a different component inside. So one would have a dropdown and another would have an input text. So it's a really, really complex application. I can't imagine building something like this or, I mean, of course you can build it in, in, a, in a different language or a different architecture, but it would be so much more effort to build in this time, uh, I, I have to build it using something different, I think. So I'm all for also like reusing and creating components, but I also lived a lot the other side of this, which are the dark side of reusability, which are the Frankenstein components, right? Yeah. So I understand the primitives, like when we talk about a button, uh, an input, I understand that this will be the same almost everywhere it's used. When we started to, to, to talk about the type ahead, sometimes we have in our website three, four different type aheads that they have like this slightly variation. And the fact that we're trying to reuse the same creates this Frankenstein components with like seven different Booleans as configurations <laughs> and wrappers and, you know, like yeah, I know. <laughs> so how do you? So what about the dynamic view of of such a design system? How do you make sure that it also evolves cleanly after, like after the first iterations, to not create these monsters? Yeah, that's actually that's actually super tricky. I've been thinking about even doing a separate conference talk on that topic because I think. Most of React developers today, they still don't get the power of composition right. So I see lots of people still misusing the or not using the, the, the right way of composing elements. And, and that's actually the crucial part of the 
component-driven approach where you work with primitives. And it's not simple by, no, by any means to create the right design for these primitives in order for them to be really reusable. And your example where suddenly the number of props explodes, then you start adding all these variations, is just a sign that the component in question is just not, wasn't designed right. So it doesn't have the right API. It doesn't fit the purpose. So for me, usually when I see such components, I try to rethink, I try to look at them and understand. So basically, yeah, the same process, like look at the mess and try to get rid of the mess or reduce the amount of mess. And usually the outcome is the component that instead of having these Boolean props or these flags that just accept another components. And, you know, so the, the component that kind of handles the logic, but it doesn't concern itself with the rendering part, if it does make sense. So it's kind of the proxy between the... So it may, mainly in an in, abstraction that implements the behavior, but it leaves the rendering, like the elements, you can just pass different elements. So, I mean, it's, it's really hard to talk about these things without visually seeing them. Even on a, on a, for a presentation, I have, I have a lot of slides that kind of, you know, lead you to, to that uh, process. And still, I think not everyone gets the idea right because it's, it's actually not that simple of idea. I mean, the idea is quite simple, but in order to understand that, it took me some time. Then I first started using React. Coming from jQuery, it was, you know, a completely different world. So the first two weeks were terrible. I was like, how do I... <laughs> That's impossible. I can't. How can I uh, class a cool button extends button? That wasn't possible. I mean, it was possible, but it was kind of discouraged. And I didn't do that. But I, I saw people kind of following this same principle again and again and again, and doing this mistake and getting these Frankenstein components. Yeah. So I think it takes time and effort. And the most important thing is to at the right, like to stop at the right time and try to split the, you know, the the component into this pieces that you can just provide to the more complex component. How much of that can you plan in advance the first time that you're creating a component versus how much should you not try to think too far ahead and, and fix it when it comes up later? Hmm. Usually I don't try to overthink things. So if I need an, a simple thing, I start with a simple thing. That's actually um, a, a good question because it's not only related to the, the, to the React topic or this components topic, but it, it, it's, I think it's generally related to the software architecture in general where I'm trying to following this rule where unless I had repeat myself three times, I don't try to extract this and, and make a, you know, a wrapper function or a component wrap a component that overcomplicate things. So I usually try to make these decisions based on the real usages or on the feedback that other people give me. And then they, then I see, then I review PRs and I see people trying to do wrong things with, with primitives or with components. I try to take a step back and look at, okay, so we had this same issue last week and now we have this. So probably that's a good time to introduce something that would help us reduce this boilerplate and at the same time kind of give us flexibility. But it all depends, I think. So I usually don't try to overthink things. But sometimes some things are, you know, obvious. So you could just 
yeah, save some time in advance. But yeah, most of the time I don't optimize. Yeah, I like that rule of three. We also use that just because you spend a lot of time, right, trying to future-proof your components before you even have the, the problem to begin with, which adds a lot of complexity. Yeah. I always say early abstraction can be almost as destructive as early optimization. Yeah, totally. I, I do agree with that. And I, I made these mistakes myself many, many times before. So, <laughs> yeah. As programmers, we are all like abstraction, like hipsters. We love to, to, to find new ways of doing, oh, I found these two things can be like only one thing. And yeah, usually those smart tricks do not evolve well. Yeah. Well, it's actually a great talk by Monica Lent from Berlin. She gave it multiple times and I saw it probably three times and every single time I laughed out loudly in the audience. Uh, so it's a great talk about uh, exactly that problem, how not to over-engineer things. And she is just a great speaker. So if you didn't see it, you should definitely watch this talk. Yeah. Nice. Yeah, I think we, we will have a future episode with her on this podcast. So, yeah, I'm excited. That's cool. This episode is sponsored by GitLab Commit. GitLab's inaugural user event brings together the GitLab community to connect, learn, and inspire. Speakers will showcase the power of DevOps in action through strategy and technology decisions, lessons learned, behind-the-scenes looks at the development lifecycle, and more. Learn how to innovate the future of software development by registering today. GitLab Commit Brooklyn, September 17th, and GitLab Commit London, October 9th. You can find it at devchat.tv slash GitLab Commit. All right. So it seems like uh, now would be a good time to go to picks. So uh, I guess we'll, we'll start with Thomas. You, you got any good ones? This all got me thinking about this book that I got from uh, Bill Scott, uh, Designing Web Interfaces. It came out literally in 2009, and we're here in 2019. But like looking over the like the um, the interesting moments grid, where he takes all the different kind of interaction phases, as well as all the individual objects that you have to consider, and considering you know what do each of these things look like at each state of this, it's all still super relevant today. Yeah. So I need to reread this thing. I think I should buy this book as well. Yeah. I didn't read it back then, so. <laughs> awesome. Uh, Lucas, what about you? So I have two picks today. Uh, first pick is the one I already talked about, which is the Shape Up book from Basecamp. Basecamp is one of those uh, group of people that, even if you don't agree anything with what they say, it always makes you think so much about, about what you're doing and rethink. And it's funny because I usually end up like agreeing with most, which is also a good sign. But yeah, the Basecamp Shape Up book is really good. It's really refreshing uh, in terms of how do you think about the process of deciding what to build and what to not build. So it's a great book. And my second pick is from the set of things that I like to expose myself and that I barely understand, it's the MIT OpenCourseWare. That website oh is amazing. <laughs> this thing is, is one of the things that I think that the world is a better place today because of that. You have like access to so many like really high-level classes. And right now, I'm watching the probability lectures – 
of the undergraduate electrical engineering problem. I'm understanding very little of it, but I'm loving every minute. It's a really good teacher, so I don't know. I think it's really important to have a good teacher for stuff like that. I actually hated math when I was studying computer science, so I, mm -hmm. yeah, I was like, why would I even need that? But sometimes I watch YouTube and I go into this, you know, lectures where I explain things I already learned, but I never understood. And then I, I'm like, wow, that totally makes so much sense now. So I, yeah, and I think that's alone the harder you explain things. Yes. Uh, so in this course of uh, probability is exactly yeah, the followers or people are gonna, yeah. Yeah, this, this course has exactly that, that uh, it's uh, a, such a good teacher. And I'm, I'm trying to like understand uh, a little bit better, remember a little bit of what I already studied from probability and a little bit of statistics because we're doing a lot of experimentation now and I want to understand a little bit of what these numbers mean. So the way he explains things, you say like, mm, yeah, that's it. Nice. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I understand now. So, yes, this is my last pick. I love it. I actually uh, recently picked up a Vue project for the first time. So I'm a little bit of a noob when it comes to Vue. And the front-end master's Heretic. course... Yeah, yeah, seriously. <laughs> I shouldn't be recommending this on the React Roundup podcast, but I'm going to do it anyway. Sarah Drasser has an intro to view course on front end masters that's phenomenal. I pretty much sat over lunch and watched like the first half of it and walked away like completely able to dig into this code base and, and write a bunch of view code. So that was very exciting for me. And she, as we were talking about teachers, is a phenomenal teacher. And then one other pick uh, from my end, I saw someone tweeted out recently the Gatsby JS docs has essentially a glossary of terms that just like boils down a bunch of super common terms into like really easy, digestible, understandable definitions. And I like, I bookmarked it and I found myself actually going back to it a bunch. So yeah, super fun resource there. Andre, you have some picks for us? So I have a pick for you uh, as well. Um, it's called Component AI. So the URL is a comp components.ai. So, and it says it's experimental platform for exploring generative science systems. And so that actually brings me to the second pick uh, that I now remember. It's also a book about the generative design that was released in... So the, the Components AI project is interesting because it gives you this... It's not even primitive, so it's, a, it's just a different combinations of, let's say, gradients. So you go into gradients and it generates a little bit different gradients uh, randomly and you can just reuse them in your project. The interesting part... Uh, and it gives you this, um, so if you have a system of, you know, things you can adapt, so let's say you have a set of colors and you have a set of fonts you can use, and then you have a set of other variables, then you can just, you know, go through all of them, basically do the permutations and create different variations of kind of the same thing, this, all of this, create all possible combinations of them. And then look at all of the combinations instantaneously. And so you can instantly see the combinations that kind of stick together, that work together. And that's basically the, the website, I think. I hope it was, uh, yeah. <laughs> awesome. Yeah, no, thank you so much. Um, I hope it was good for a pick. <laughs> fantastic picks. So I think that's it for React Roundup today. Uh, Andre, thanks for joining us so much. And we'll see you next time. Thank Good you. night, everybody.
Goodbye. <laughs> bye bye. Bye. Bandwidth for this segment is provided by Cashfly, the world's fastest CDN. Deliver your content fast with Cashfly. Visit C A C H E F L Y dot com to learn more. 